Well, good morning, church. Man, it's good to be here this morning. Thank you, Grayson, for bringing those up. Glad that we can gather today in this place. And uh, I want to just start by saying uh, welcome. Uh, we are so glad you're here. And if it's your first time to be here today, thank you for coming. I hope you'll find what so many of us have found here, that this is a place um, where you are among friends and you are among family. And uh, right now we're in the middle of a series called This Is Us. And for us, part of that is just a confession. It's an admission uh, that we are, we are not perfect. We're far from perfect. But, but we come here every week because of our love for, uh, for God and our love for each other. And, and we're doing this series called This Is Us. And maybe you saw the TV show that dropped last fall. It became an instant hit about this family. Uh, it's a family like, like most families. That's far from perfect. It's a family like most families where things don't always work out. Things get complicated. There's stress. There's tension. The marriage is on and off the rocks. The kids are a mess. You know, life is crazy. Work is hard. And, and so many people resonated with this story because we all resonate with this story, right? Life is complicated. Family is hard. And as I think about our family at Riverside... Man, I think how true is that just of us in terms of our faith family here? That Yeah, just like any other family, sometimes there's tension. Sometimes we struggle. Sometimes it's hard. But there's one thing that keeps that family together on the TV show, and there's one thing that keeps us together as a faith family here at Riverside. And if you've been around for very long, you know what that is. It's love. It's love. It's our love for each other. It's our love for God. It's that decision to love each other that keeps us coming back week after week. It's that decision to love each other that keeps us together as one. And today, that's what I want to talk about. That, that this is us. That come what may, we, we stand together. That no matter what comes our way, we stand together as one. We, are, we want to be united. We want to be a church where unity exists as one of our highest values. We want to be a place where there isn't anything really that can come between us because of our love for God and our love for each other. And every week I've, I've asked a different person to come on stage to sort of share with us and to share with you and to have sort of a this is us moment. And today I want to invite my friend uh, Kirk Johnson to come on stage with me. And, and we want to talk about this. Today is more about a passion than it is a personal story. I asked Kirk to come speak uh, and, and share with, with us today because Kirk, I don't know if you know this church, but Kirk is actually the very first person from Riverside that I ever even talked to. And a couple of years ago, it's almost been two years. Can you believe that? Um, since we moved here, Kirk reached out to me and my family and invited us uh, into a conversation that turned into a transition. And we've been blessed by that. And, and, and just so you know, I don't know that I've had the chance to thank Kirk publicly for this, but he was a big reason uh, for, that, uh, for that decision in our life and our family. So Kirk, thank you for the role you played in our life as a shepherd and as a friend and as a mentor and all those things that really uh, you know, paved the way for, for God to work in our lives and transition us here. But as I thought about today, church, I wanted to think about who, who do I know that loves this church? And a lot of you love this church, but I know because I've had so many conversations with Kirk about his love for Riverside and his love for God. And so I wanted him to kind of kind of talk with us today about that idea. But, but first, Kirk, if you would, because I don't want to assume that everybody knows you like I know you, share a little bit about yourself and your family and, and why you're here at Riverside. Sure, I'd love to. My name is Kirk Johnson, and uh, I am married to my best friend and most beautiful wife, Kim. And together we have two wonderful, uh, fantastic sons, 
young men, Preston and Brandon. And so we've been coming here to Riverside for approximately four years, and uh, we are love it. We love the community. We love the family. Awesome. Now, um, when you think about how divided our world is right now, uh, this is one question I want to ask you, Kirk. Why do you think it's so important for the church to be a place of unity? That's a great question. Uh, yeah, I look at the world, and, and I look at how dark, dark the world is. And, and I think any of us who read the news and look at all the things there, we get it. We, we realize that it is a dark, dark, dark world. And it has been for, for millenniums. Uh, we're just seeing so many more things vivid. And then I look at unity, and, and I look at us as light, and the light that we can be in the world. And maybe it's my simplistic view, but I, I really believe that unity is that light. And the clarity of our unity, the strength of our unity, uh, the focus of our unity really talks about how um, stringent and powerful our, our, our voice and our light is in the world, uh, as opposed to it being defragmented and, and being that way. So. so when you think about unity, what, what are some of the things or the ideas that come to mind for you? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, for me, I... I Maybe, I, I think of sports, for one. I think of a football team. Yeah. I, you know, go Cowboys. Uh, so I, I think of that. Uh, and just the whole thing about what unity is in, in, a, in a sports team. And a team that is united uh, does, does well. Mm-hmm. They win. A team that is divided does not do well. They do not win. Regardless of the strength or quality or talent of the, of the uh, athletes, they just don't win. And, um, and I think it's easy to see a team that is divided. And it's also seen easy to see a team that's united. Um, but also think about an orchestra. I, I think about an orchestra in the standpoint of making music together. Mm-hmm. And when the orchestra is in tune and they're in sync and they follow the conductor, there's amazing things that happen. In, in fact, music will be impactful so much it just stirs the heart. It, it moves our soul. It, it captures the emotion. And uh, so I think of unity in sports and I think it in orchestra, music, and I think of it in family. That family, just the closeness of a family, the strength of a family, the family all together. Uh, those three elements to kind of help me get my arms around what unity might be. I think it's a great point. And it's, I think it's hard for us in church to think about it in those terms. But, you know, yeah, when a team is unified, it wins. I mean, that, that, that is true. And when it's divided, it can't win. When an orchestra plays together well, beautiful music is made. And when it doesn't, it's hard to listen to, right? So what is it for us at Riverside that you believe we are united, we need to be united around in order for us to be who, who God wants us to be? I, to me, it's really simple. There's two things. It's, it's really to honor God mm-hmm. and to share God and to honor God with, uh, with our conversations, with our lives, with our relationships, and to share God with as many people as we can, whether both share God in here, share the victories, and share God with our friends outside of this room. Absolutely. That's huge. So, Kirk, like I said, I, I think I know a little bit about your heart, and I know you have a deep love for God, and you have a deep love for this church. And I know you would say you're far from perfect in that and in your humility. And, and, and that's true of all of us. But when you think about this church and you think about who we are and who God wants us to be, I, I'd just love for you to take a minute and just share your heart for Riverside. You know, what's your heart for us? Sure. Um, we love it here at Riverside. We feel connected. We feel loved. We feel part uh, of, of lives. We're getting to know more and more people. Uh, we've been coming here four years. And so there's still a lot of people we've not had the privilege of getting to know in a deeper level. Uh, but when I think of what the church has done in the 30 years and where we can be and go from this point forward, um, 
the word and word or the phrase that I would think of is just expectancy, and that is to expect the amazing. And I look at how amazing God is. I look at how the scriptures really convey the, the powerful, loving, kind, personal, but the impactful, uh, that he makes a difference. And I, I believe that God is working here, and I believe he has been working here through several decades and amazingly right now. And so if I could say anything, it would be to expect the amazing. Because God is amazing, his church is amazing, and he's going to do amazing things. So that's how I would say I expect the amazing. Awesome. Thank you, Kurt. Church, would you let me say thank you to Kurt? Thank you, brother. I, I, I love that. I love Kirk's heart. And, and this is, for so many of you, this is your heart for this church as well. He's just one example of so many of you I could have asked to come on stage and talk for a minute today about, about Riverside. And, and our heart, in one sense, it beats the same because, because of our desire to be uni- unified, uh, to be united around this idea of, of honoring God and cheering God, of this idea of loving God and loving each other well. It's, it's a huge part of who we are. I know if you're anything like, anything like me, over the last few weeks, you've been, you've been following the stories that have been coming out of Florida and Houston and different areas where uh, the hurricanes have hit. And this past week, this one story caught my eye, and it's an opinion piece from the Washington Times, and, and, and believe me, I'm not getting political or anything like that, but, but this highlighted for me something really interesting, and I wanted to share just a piece of it with you. Uh, again, this article from the Times said this about what's going on uh, in, in response to all the relief efforts to all the hurricane uh, victims. Uh, this writer said, faith-based groups, Christian nonprofits specifically, have been busy bees of late, providing more aid to hurricane victims than even FEMA. The federal agency that's supposed to swoop to the scenes of natural disasters, assess the situation, and speed the recovery and rebuilding process. Look at this from the Daily Caller. Faith-based relief groups are responsible for providing nearly 80% of aid delivered to, thus far to communities with homes devastated by the recent hurricanes. The piece cited USA Today, which ran a headline, Faith Groups Provide the Bulk of Disaster Recovery in Coordination with FEMA. Now, I'm not here to provide commentary on government or FEMA or any of that. I'm really help, thankful for all those who have responded to help those who are in need. And, and I'm thankful and grateful for the way this church has responded to that need. What I find really interesting is that this article, along with several others you can find without doing much legwork, say that people of faith are responding in droves to help people in need. And I love that. I think that's true. I think that should be true. The people of faith are the ones who are responding first when people are hurting the most. I think that's what should happen, and I'm glad that that is happening. But you and I both know that for far too long, the church, honestly, has been known in the world around us more, more for what separates us than what unites us. When people think about the church, they, uh, the first things they think of, if they're not a part of a church, and maybe even if they are, is what separates us as people of faith, instead of what unites us as people of faith. So if you get in your car when you leave this place this morning, and you drive 10 minutes in any direction, you're going to pass four, five, 10 different churches. Why is that? Why? Because somewhere along the way, some church decided that there was a point of opinion or theology or a difference that arose and so someone went and started another church, and then they went and started another church. And so many churches were started because people couldn't come together, and they let what 
divided them defined them instead of what called them together. And you and I both know that right now, it feels like, I know it's probably not true, but it feels like it's true that maybe right now, more than ever in our history, the world has never been more divided. Racially, politically, even historically, we're talking about statues to take down and put up. And and again, I'm not getting into all that. I'm just saying, I'm giving you the, you know what's going on right now. We have never been more divided. So what would it look like? What would it look like if the church really was united? What would it be like to live in a place where the church was known more for what united it than what separated it? I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but this was one of the things that Jesus prayed for for you before he left the planet. I don't know if you ever knew this or or thought about this or if you've ever realized this, that Jesus actually prayed for you, but he did. And so if you have your Bible, if you want to open up this morning to John 17, I want us to look at just one moment it's really one part of one prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17. And in this prayer, I want you to see that Jesus, first of all, I want you to see who he prays for, and then I want you to see what he prays for. So John 17, if you'll open up and you'll look at that, we'll start in verse 20. Jesus begins this part of his prayer with these three words, and I think they're a powerful three words. Jesus says, I am praying. Now, just pause right there before you go any further, and you may want to circle that or highlight that, right? Because if you're paying attention, if, if you've read the rest of John, a while back we did a series on this, where over and over again, John uses these I am statements uh, for Jesus to declare who he is. And so if you rewind the tape back to the days of Moses, once upon a time, Moses asked God, hey, tell me who you are, tell me what your name is. And God told Moses, my name is I am. I am that I am, that's my name. I am, I've always been, I've never not been, so my name is I am. And by the way, whatever you need, I am. I've got it. That's who I am. My name is I am. So right here, Jesus, the Son of God, prays to the Father God. Jesus, the great I am, prays to I am. And I think it's really cool to think about what does I am pray to I am about, right? What does the great I am pray to the great I am for? And this is what it says, verse 20. I am praying not only for these disciples, not only for the the people you put around me at this exact moment in time for me to disciple, for me to love and to lead, But also, underline this, for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Jesus prays for us. Jesus prays for all those who will ever believe in him because of the message that the disciples will will go and show and share and tell. And that's us. Jesus prays for all those who will ever believe in him. And what's the one thing Jesus prays for? What's the one thing that Jesus prays for for you? What does Jesus pray for you? Verse 21. I pray. Jesus prays. I pray that they will all be one. Just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. Jesus prayed When Jesus prayed for us, this is what he prayed for. Jesus prayed that above and beyond everything else, that in that for his present followers and for the followers to come, for you and me, that we would be one, that we would be united. Think of all the things he could have prayed for. Think about what he didn't pray for. Jesus didn't pray. He didn't pray for an end to world hunger. He didn't pray for no more hurricanes. He didn't pray, you know, for health and wealth for his followers. He didn't pray for any of those things. 
He didn't pray for the things that you and I might have prayed for in that moment. But what Jesus prayed for, what the most important person on the planet prayed for, at maybe the most critical moment in the history of humanity, moments before he would go to the cross and die for you and me, he prayed that we would be one. He prayed that that nothing would come between us. He prayed that nothing would divide us Nothing would separate us. He prayed that we would be one. Just let that sink in. That you and I would be one. And he prayed it this way. You heard it. Just as you and I are one, as you were in me, Father, and I am in you. And I I read this again this week and I just thought, is this even possible? Is it it even possible, God, for for us to love each other the way that, that you and Jesus love each other? Is that even attainable for us to have the same kind of love for each other that God has for himself? Because that's exactly what Jesus prayed for. If you grew up in the church, maybe you saw this. This happened to me when I was growing up. People would try to describe God because God is confusing, right? He's really confusing. We'll just admit that. You know, you've got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but they're all God but they're, they're individual parts of God, but they're one. And it's, 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 you know, as a kid, it's confusing. As an adult, it's still confusing. And so what our Bible teachers did when we were children is they showed us a pretzel, a picture of a pretzel, right? And this is supposed to solve everything, by the way. <laughs> Some of you are getting hungry right now, sorry. <gasps> yeah, and they said, hey, look at this pretzel. See, it's all one, but there's three parts, but, they're, but it's united. And so this is the way God is. God is like a pretzel. And I'm thinking, God makes me hungry, you know? Is this what God is really like? Is he really like a pretzel? I don't know. I don't know if that's the best analogy. I like the salt, but I don't know. I don't think the thing that holds God together is a special recipe. What holds God together, what holds the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in perfect unity, you know the answer, is love. Love is what holds the Father in perfect harmony with the Son. Love is what holds the Son in perfect harmony with the Spirit and the Spirit with the Father and, and all three together. It's, it's, it's their love for each other. And oh, by the way, it's their love for us. That's what holds them together, is their love. And if we're gonna love each other the way God loves us, I think what has to hold us together is that same kind of love. That I have to love you the way God loves you. And I need you, oh, by the way, to love me the way God loves me. And if we elevate our love, he didn't pray for our uniformity. He didn't pray that we have to agree on everything. If the contingency, if the prerequisite for us to gather and to worship Jesus today was that we agreed on every point of theology and we agreed about how everything was supposed to work, then you know this, we would never gather. (laughs) He didn't pray for that. He didn't pray for agreement. He prayed for unity. He prayed that for our love, for our love to be held in such high regard for each other that nothing would ever separate us. Verse 21. And may they be in us. This is why, by the way, this is so important. I think for far too long we've written off this idea of loving each other as a nice idea, but it's really not that important. But Jesus says in his prayer to his Father, when, when the great I am prays that I am, he says, I'm praying for this one thing, 
This one thing. I'm praying that they be one. And this is why, verse 21, and that they may be in us so that. Here's the big why. So that the world will believe you sent me. Wow. Have you ever even, do you get this? This is, this is it. Our credibility with the world depends on our unity. Our credibility with the world depends on our unity for us. For us to do and to be what God has called us to do and to be. It all begins and ends with our unity, with us loving each other the way that God loves us. If we can't love each other the way God loves us, we lose all credibility with our community. And you know that. You know that. We have to love each other. There is no life in a dismembered body. You know that too, right? And if we're not together, if we don't come together as members of the body of Christ, if we don't get unified around the love of God, then we have no credibility with those in the world around us. We lose it all. Like Kirk said, when we're divided, we can't win. And then Jesus prays this. I've given them the glory that you gave me so they may be one, there it is again, as we are one. I am, I am in them and, and you are in me. And may they experience such perfect unity so that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them. The only way the world is going to know that, that, that God loves them is if we are unified. That you love them as much as you love me. The most important thing to the most important person on the planet, and maybe, no, it is, the most critical moment in all of human history when he prayed was that you and I would be unified. Do you get it? I don't think you get it. <laughs> you don't get it, do you? This is, this is the whole deal. This is the whole deal. Our love for each other is the whole deal. Uh, you know, think Tex-Mex. It's the whole enchilada. This is it, right? If we don't get this, we, we, we might as well stop coming together. Because if we don't love each other the way God loves us, we don't. So, so think about it this way. If, if what people think about you when they think about you is that you complain about your church and you question God, then guess what happens? When the storms hit their life, they're not going to run for you. They're going to run from you. But if what people think about when they think about you is that you are a person who loves your church, who is loved by your church, who trusts in God, then when the storms of life come, who are they going to run for? Who are they going to turn to? You and me. And, and here's why. So that, why? In that moment when they turn to us, we have the opportunity to reach them for Christ. When we love each other the way God loves us, we do that so that the world will know that God loves them. But if all you and I ever do is complain about the bride of Christ, complain about the church, and complain about the, what's happening to us and why is God and where is God, then when people in the world around us who don't go to church, who don't have a faith family, who don't know the Lord, who are far from God for whatever reason, when they need God, they won't come looking for you. But this is Jesus' plan. His plan 
is that you live a life of love, that I live a life of love, that we live this life of loving each other so well that it is a witness to the world around us that when they face the storms of life, when the hurricanes hit their lives, that they come running to the people of God. Do you get it? This is it, church. I don't, I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but this is it. When we love each other well and we exalt Christ, we will reach the world for Christ. The opposite is sure enough true. If we don't love each other and we never exalt Jesus, we will lose members left and right. No one will come visit this church and we will die and shut the doors. And our 30-year legacy that God has done in this place will all be for nothing. But if we can commit, if I can commit to loving you the way God loves you, if you can commit, and this is the hard one, to loving me the way God loves me, then we will have a witness to the world around us. And what is that witness? That God loves them too. So here's your next step this week, and it's a big one. If there is anything, and I mean it, if there is anything between you and another person in this church, if there is anything between you and a fellow believer in Jesus, I want to ask you this week to elevate your love for them. Elevate your love for them. Love them more than what separates you. Love the person more than the thing that divides you. And it may mean you saying, I'm sorry this week, even if you don't think you're the one at fault. It may mean you being the bigger person. It may mean you humbling yourself. Oh, it may mean you being a little bit like Jesus in the relationship. And that's what I'm calling us to. I'm calling us to love each other that much that we would humble, we would lower ourselves to make relationships right so that the world will know that God loves all of us. Church, if you would, let's, let's stand. So what am I saying? This is it. I'm calling us to literally live different this week because this is not normal. What's normal is to let whatever divides us divide us even further. What's normal is for whatever separates us to separate us even deeper. What's different is me loving you more than whatever that thing is that divides us and putting my love for you and my love for God above that. If there's, if there's something that comes between us, if there's something that, 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 that comes between us, what that is, that's a symptom, right? Of a lack of love. So I'm calling us to a deeper love. I always love it when I get to watch, you know, sit down for a minute and watch a football game. And, and one of my favorite things is to watch how the team comes out. You know what I'm talking about? A lot of times they blow the smoke and everybody comes out jumping and hollering and that's crazy and that's fun. But you know what I, I really love? And it happens from time to time. Have you ever seen this where the players come out and their arms are interlocked like this and they're walking slowly, on purpose, united, ready to take the field? Part of me wishes we could just walk out the doors this morning like, like this, and that would be weird, I know. 
It'd be strange for Saul to walk into nukes like this, like we're hungry, we're united. But in spirit, that's my prayer for us, church, that we would have that kind of unity among us, that we would love each other that much. And when we have that kind of unity in this community, then this community outside these four walls will know that this is a place that elevates the love of Jesus above everything else. And let me tell you, in a world that's attractive, in a world where, where hate is the language of our culture, that kind of unity and love is attractive. People want to be where they are welcomed and where they are loved. So let's be that kind of people. Because this week, you're gonna cross paths with someone, and it may not make the news, but in their life, they're facing a storm. In their life right now, there are gale force winds. In their life right now, they're living in the eye, of the eye of the hurricane. And when you cross paths with them, because of your love for each other, because of your love for God, you will have a chance to reach them for Jesus. And church, that is what we are called to do. So may we be unified in this, in Christ and him crucified. May we be unified in Jesus Christ alone. And may our love for him be our anthem and our song. May it be the one thing that defines us above all the rest, our love for him and our love for each other. This is our calling, church. This is who we want to be, and I hope it's who we are. Let's be united in that kind of love. Let's sing.